So if you've been listening for a while, uh, you've seen that we've evolved. And uh, we're going to continue that evolution with, by bringing a broader scope of guests. Really want to bring in athletes, CEOs, leaders, warriors, and anybody that can be an asset to you, the listener. Uh, you'll, you'll notice that we're adding a new segment to this called Hot Wash, where we go over key insights and key takeaways that we took from these guys and really want to give you uh, one more notch on your tool belt to take into your life. Today is the day where we launch the official new name, Ironclads Built for More. We're going to kick things off with an insane episode uh, with the leader of one of the fastest growing brands in America, Black Rifle Coffee. Our guest, Evan Hafer, is going to walk us through what it took to start the company, what it takes to lead, and why great leaders eat last. Honestly, I did a hot wash right after uh, I listened to the episode, and I'm still thinking about the some of the key takeaways, uh, one of which is about the last three minutes of life and what you would want. So I really encourage you to listen to that section. Like I said, to this day, I'm still thinking about it. I've thought about it all weekend, and it's something that um, will ultimately change the way I lead and the way I prioritize things moving forward. So I got a lot out of it. I have a whole new respect for Evan and a whole new respect for Black Rifle Coffee. I'm a huge fan. I drink it every morning, and now I'm going to drink it just out of principle because I enjoyed this so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Evan Hafer. I feel like a lot of people, obviously, Black Rifle is a brand that I feel like everybody knows now, but maybe a lot of people don't know kind of the backstory. I mean, it, it's true, especially kind of in the kind of crowds that, that we run with here. Everybody right. drinks Black Rifle, you know, like everyone shares the, the content from uh, Coffee or Die. But, you know, I feel like a lot of people who are introduced to the brand obviously know that all the attention and support that the brand gives to the veteran community but for people that don't know the story, can you tell a little bit about your background and going from Green Beret to entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, it, it really wasn't that clean of a transition when you just say Green Beret to entrepreneur. There's like kind of a lot in the middle there. Yeah. Ultimately, when I was, you know, I, I was a Green Beret for, um, you know, 2000 to I think I officially ETS in 2015. Um, so I did the invasion of Iraq and then came back and then I got a job with an organization called the CIA for about nine years. And yes, I can say that because I've been gone from the agency for several years. I can't compromise any, any, uh, any intelligence. So, you know, I'd kind of kicked around from the tactical world. Uh, when I say that I've spent the majority of my adult life from, uh, 2000 to 2014 overseas, uh, either working as an SF guy or as a CIA contractor. And I was roasting coffee back in the day, like 2006, 2007, uh, just to take with me on deployments. So I'd come home and I got this idea in Kirkuk actually way back in the day. And there was a couple other guys with me one is a former SEAL, the other guy's a former army guy. And we were all kind of getting into coffee roasting around the same time. We were all coffee heads yeah. and coffee heads. They find each other. It, it's really interesting in, in these environments. You, you kind of look at what people are doing. It's fairly obvious in the morning as to who's doing what, if somebody's yeah. out a pour over, you know, doing a hand grinder. It, it's really easy to, to, to kind of, identify who's who in the zoo and then you find each other and 
I just got into roasting back in the day and I would roast up 20, 30, 40 pounds of coffee. At that time, I really didn't know much about roasting. It takes quite a, quite a few, it's an iterative process. Yeah. And so I was developing this hobby, deploying over to Iraq uh, until about 2009. And then I went to Afghanistan in 2009, right after the SOFA agreement was signed, spent a couple of years over there. So I was roasting coffee deploying, roasting coffee deploying, I'd come back, work this new skill. And uh, I wanted to have a coffee company, but I didn't really see an end to my tactical career. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't as if I was looking at it going, okay, one or the other until about 2014 when, uh, you know, I had had enough of the CIA and they had had kind of enough of me and we we, what I say is mutually parted ways. So what, and not to be, you know, to be less ambiguous, it's more, Hey, you can leave or we can fire you. Type yeah. of conversation, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's where you have to kind of use those events in your life to make the changes that I think your, your body or your mind might be pining for. Um, you know, nine years, I spent a lot of time on the trail Yeah, and I was tired, you know, mentally I was tired. Uh, physically I was tired. Um, I, I, I wasn't enjoying the work anymore. It didn't, uh, I, I, I was not enjoyable either. So rightfully so, man, I was, I was cashed. Uh, yeah. I was done. And I didn't really have a plan for a coffee company initially. So I, I was working in the tactical world and I was working with another startup called Twist Rate where we were trying to fund other veterans and in their initiatives through a crowdfunding platform. Um, that didn't go anywhere. So that was just a, a, a lead balloon. And I was still roasting coffee. So I made the transition over to another startup. So I was working two different startups at the same time. And then I had this coffee business in the background. And I had met Matt a few years before that, Matt Best. He and I were continuing to do a bunch of random pieces of content. And then we started to cobble the pieces together, right? It was like JT, you know, Jared Taylor, Matt Best, Logan Stark, all these guys, we just started really putting the pieces together. And then it was, hey guys, we're way, way better at coffee than we are anything else. Yeah. We've got to bucket our energy, go chips in over here and uh, commit to uh, a concept and a company. Um, and that, that was really when it started to take off. It was kind of a hobby, fun, cool little, little company Yeah. after the first year. And when we decided to go chips in and, and chop out all the white noise from everything else, that's when the company started to, to really grow past just being able to, to create a job for ourselves. Um, that was the end of 2014. Um, I left the agency in September of 14. I started Black Rifle in December of 14. And our first transaction was January 15. And today we have uh, 260 plus employees uh, I roast, uh, I roast all of our coffee except for the single serve K cup options. Yeah. Um, we've been able to donate, uh, 
gosh, I, I can't even count at this point, at least a couple million dollars back to veteran and law enforcement related causes. Uh, we have a 50 plus percent veteran hiring rate. Um, you know, I could break my arm trying to pat myself on the back, but, but it's, you know, it, it, but it's, it's a real impact. Yeah. That's a real impact. And you know what the, the other thing that's interesting about black rifle is, well, first, I mean, five years to make that, to make that kind of rise in five years to, from your first transaction to where you are now is, is incredible. But I also feel like in addition to the product being of such high quality, the coffee club business model, I feel like you guys were a little ahead of the curve. How did that idea kind of direct to consumer, you know, mailing them on like sort of like a subscription basis for a product like coffee? What was, how did that come about? That's what I wanted. So when I was in Iraq, for instance, mail on the early part of the war was hit and miss. It wasn't, wasn't great. Then as the war started to, to move forward, mail became a little bit more consistent. You could get a, a package. Some places you could get it in a week and that's light speed. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but I couldn't really find that option for myself or for some of the other fire bases we were at. I couldn't really find that option. So the subscription model was something that I was putting into other aspects of businesses. So for instance, I was over working with a survival company and we were doing kind of a join now with a survival, uh, a survival company. And now, you know, Mike Glover, with, and that wasn't who I was working with, but Phil Kraft has done an incredible job at that business model. So we, I was looking at this subscription really early. And what I wanted to do with that subscription was be able to provide the freshest roasted, highest quality coffee on, on a cadence. Is it two weeks? Is it every month? Whatever it is. That's what I wanted. I wanted to just fire and forget that thing, put it on, you know, set it and forget it, get it land on my doorstep and be stoked about what I was getting every two weeks. Because a, a coffee only has a finite amount of life. Yeah. And when you look at coffee bean itself, and if you're, if you're using a high quality coffee and you're roasting it and sealing it, and even with most, the, the most uh, steady state of, of, of environments, you're going to get 30 days out of that coffee. About two weeks, you're going to be past peak flavor on it. Then you're going to get a total of about 30 days of really good flavor out of it. Once you open it, the time, the, the clock starts basically. Yeah. And so that was something I really wanted. I didn't want to have to shop my coffee every month. I, grocery store coffee, who knows how long it's been on the shelf. A lot of your smaller local roasters, some of them are really good, but there's a lot of them that they really shouldn't be roasting coffee. They, 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 they don't have the background or the education. When I say that, not college education, but they've been roasting an inferior product for maybe 10 or 15 years. They've just been burning beans and putting them in bags because a grocery store on the shelf. Yeah. So not all roasters are created equal either. Uh, what I, I was really focused on looking at the, the companies that I loved and respected in the coffee industry. But I also realized a lot of those guys were like socialists. And fuck, I'm not even close to being a socialist. Like I can disagree more with the ideology. So it really pissed me off. I didn't want to give them 25 or 30 bucks a month 
So it would go to some, you know, weird ideology that was directly contrary to what I felt was what I had been fighting for, for my entire life. And so that's what was the, the, the whole concept was just, how do I get a fresh roasted coffee delivered in a subscription with a company that was mission focused or focused at a, a, a focus like I did. And, you know, people say it's more conservative. I've said it. I think that's probably an inaccurate uh, articulation. I think it's, you know, we love freedom, uh, you know, individual responsibility, like taking action for yourself. Like this woke cancel culture bullshit is, it's a farce, right? It doesn't teach people how to be self-sufficient. It cops out every time somebody gets their feelings hurt. Like that's what, that, that, that's completely contradictory to anything that I've ever done in my life. It's like, stop making excuses, get off your ass and do it yourself, right? And so for us at Black Rifle, that's what we believe in. And, you know, we believe in freedom. We believe in American, you know, the American way of life. And a lot of people, they have a lot of negative things to say about that, right? They've, they've called us everything under the sun that's just so ridiculous that, uh, you know, it's not even worth repeating. But at the end of the day, we believe in freedom and the ability for the individual to choose. And, you know, that's where we're stand. And it's interesting because I, I take a political stance because a lot of these other companies, they do too, right? They take stances and I find them fucking ridiculous. You know, there's a really well-known coffee company that just recently fired their, uh, you see, he's an Ethiopian. So he immigrated to the United States from Ethiopia. He was importing Ethiopian coffees. He made pro-American, just pro-American statements online. Like, you know, I love and appreciate this country. America has afforded me incredible opportunities, blah, blah, blah. They termed his contracts mm. for being pro-American. I'm like, how can American business that's making millions of dollars, that's created, mil- you know, in, yeah. in some cases, hundreds of thousands of jobs for yeah. people be anti-American? It, it does. It pisses me off. So, you know, we go to work every day. There's a flag flying in every one of our, our, our buildings. There's American flags throughout this thing. And that's not just a symbol. 50% of the people that work here are veterans. Uh, and we, we go to work to serve cuff. You know, what I say is we love to serve coffee to people that love America. Yeah. You know, we serve coffee for those who serve. We serve, pro- we serve coffee to people who love America. It's not, it should, you shouldn't be ashamed of the country that you live in and you definitely shouldn't hide it. And just doing that doesn't really, saying that doesn't affiliate you with a political party either. Yeah. It doesn't. Well, it, when one of the cool things about Black Rifle is I feel like that, that corporate culture that you guys have established translates to the, to the product and to the brand. You know, I mean, the product stands alone in quality. I feel like it, it was just a blind taste test and no one had any, you know, there was no labels or marketing. It's a great product. But also it does feel like the the culture that you've cultivated there translates, like I said, not just to the marketing, but to the real brand identity for consumers. People like drinking it because they feel like they're supporting something they believe in. What's the process of creating and maintaining that culture, especially right now, you know, even even from 2015 to now, there's been such dramatic shifts in in politics and society 
And so how do you maintain a consistent culture, especially in kind of turbulent, you know, social and political times? Well, I, that, I don't know if it's difficult when I say that it's, it's not a difficult part of the job for me. It's, you know, growing up in combat zones and maintaining a positive culture in, in very conflicted and negative environments. It's just kind of what you learn to do, right? Yeah. It's like, Hey, chop out the white noise, focus on the team, focus on the things that you can really affect. Uh, at times the military is difficult at allowing that to happen because it can be, you know, it can be negative just like any other institution. I, I, I say that I've, I've had a really good education and good in good culture. And what I mean by that is I've had a good education as to how important really good leaders are and how important it is for you to understand what a bad leader looks like. Like yeah. I know it's just as important. When you see a bad leader and you've been led and managed by a bad leader, you start cataloging those things. And you understand this; these are the things that this individual, this person has done that directly affect the negative psychology or what I call ecosystem. You know, a company is an ecosystem. And one of the things that I really try to focus on is I want a 360-degree uh, happiness life circle. And what I mean by that is people need to go to a family and a, you know, supporting and loving family that they're, you know, encouraged and, and, and really feel the passion and love in their, in their own household. They need to come from that household into their company and they, they need to feel the same thing. They need to feel empowered. They need to feel passionate they need to be activated. Uh, and then if you win, when I say that, you win by getting both of those things, right? Mm -hmm. You win by the person that wants to be motivated by having both of those pieces of their life, their family, their home, their, you know, their, their spouses and kids and everybody else. Then they come in to the company that they love, they leave the home that they love into the company that they love and chopping out the, the, the negative psychology is just as important as encouraging the positive psychology. So if you have a bunch of toxic people, they have to fucking go. Yeah. I've learned that like really over the last five years, you get toxic people into a business and they are more effective at spreading negativity in your company than they are at the positive people and spreading positivity. Yeah. You know, I've said this a lot over the last couple of years, which is psychology is more contagious than the flu. Now I think it's probably more, it's more contagious than COVID. So if you have a positive psychology, you need to come in and infect the company with it. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've stated this hundreds, if not thousands of times over the last five years. If you're having a bad day, don't even come into the company and infect mm -hmm. it because we just can't afford the, the negative psychology. But that takes a lot of repetitions, right? It's an yeah. iterative process. You got to chop through the dead wood uh, and you've got... These are hard conversations for a manager and most people. I try not to veer from difficult conversations with people and I'll have them more than once. Uh, and then I don't, I, I, I've, I've drugged my feet on terming bad people. And every time I've done that, it has bitten me in the ass. Mm. 
if you've got a sneaking suspicion that you need to get rid of toxic people and you don't know where it's coming from, chances, chances are you're better off by taking a more drastic approach and cutting more <laughs> than cutting yeah. less. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very difficult. I've dealt with it in the company in the last five years and um, that we're just at the, the company, I think in the last year has turned such a positive psychological corner where we've been able to offload the crap and just focus on the business and each other and supporting each other. But you get the, you get the people that are all me. And what I say is you got mission and me people, right? You get the people that are me first and you get the people that are mission first. Mm. Uh, your job as a manager and a leader is to find more of the mission first people than yeah. outweigh the me's so you can mute all those motherfuckers and keep their bullshit to a minimum. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, I think that is what it really translates in a lot of ways. Like people who purchase the product, they feel like they're almost part of the black rifle family that they are part of this community. And even here, I mean, we, we have, we, I don't know if you've ever heard like the success hotline. It's like this phone number you can call and hear these kind of, uh, it's a college professor who's like a mental performance guy. And it's like positive psychology every day. We have a mental performance coach that we meet with as a team to make sure everyone's on the same page. Everyone's tracking. Yeah. And it, yeah. and, it, and it feels like, like I said, it's weird how something like that that's internal eventually will translate to external. It's like people are proud to wear the black rifle gear because they feel like, hey, man, I'm part of this team and we're all freaking in this thing together, you know? Well, that's what I want, right? Which is I've, I've always, especially for the last couple of years, where, you know, my job is to be the, the number one mental health performance coach, right? That's yeah. like my command fired up but the other thing is is you know our the ecosystem of the company doesn't end with the border of the company the ecosystem is the entire company to yeah. create one big you know galvanized system where people can trust that we have you know high quality product and you know, i've been going on sourcing trips you know the south and central america I'm getting and developing better relationships with my farmers. I'm, I'm paying more for coffee now because I want to make sure that they're encouraging sustainable agriculture. I want to make sure that they're being able to employ their, their, their growers for the entire year. Um, you know, I'm concerned with the product, but I'm overall concerned with the entire ecosystem. We have a high quality product. If the company has a high degree of high performance psychology so we're working we're mission focused everybody understands their priorities right the the customer experience directly translates to all of that a lot of entrepreneurs and no offense to you guys because i am one right and i talk to a lot of these guys so often but they're shiny objects guys yeah like they every fucking shiny object they go after and it's it gets I tell people, I, t I talk to entrepreneurs more about not doing their ideas than doing their idea because they don't give them a long enough time. So they don't, you know, they'll get bored with something, they'll move on, they don't dig deep, they don't understand how to triage their time against what actually moves the needle. There's a, there's a wide variety of complexity to the entrepreneurial mind. I'm not yeah. exactly sure, but I talk to people about this all the time. What's allowed me to maintain focus is 
I have two little kids and a wife and a company full of people that depend on yeah. right? So when you're a single guy or, you know, or you're just super selfish, I don't know. But if you're single and you're trying to do all these startups, well, one, you have to let them cook for a while and you have to dig really deep. And I've told this to, I don't know how many people that start starting this business and running this business is the single hardest thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I have seven and a half years in combat, in a combat zone. So yeah. put it in context, like, you know, it's, it, when people talk about the grind, you got all these fucking dudes out there, you know, the grind, the grind, it's like, you got all these like Instagram entrepreneurs that, you know, are buying Maseratis and private jets. And it's like, man, I drive an F-150. Yeah. You know, I've reinvested when I had an extra $80,000 in my bank account, I bought a new roaster. I bought, you know, a, a, a bagging system. I bought, you know, trucks and things for the, for the company. I didn't buy fucking shiny watches. I sold all that shit. Yeah. I sold everything. I sold everything that I owned to go chips in on this thing. My first year in business, I made $1.3, $1.27 million gross revenue. I took $0 out of the company for myself. Oh, wow. I sold two houses. I sold all my guns. I sold all my tactical gear. I have a pouch, a little pouch that's shadow boxed in my office in San Antonio because I had three pouches left out of the out of all my tactical gear that I hadn't wow. sold on eBay. Wow. It, like it, I was committed to this process where I tell people, I'm like, you have to sacrifice your ego on the altar of business. You have to be prepared to work harder than you ever have. You have to be physically and mentally exhausted daily and day in, day out. And if you're going to try to do it for shiny watches and private jets, fuck man, there are easier ways to make money. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just telling yeah, you, yeah. there are easier ways to make money. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned a lot of entrepreneurs kind of getting distracted by, you know, uh, the next big thing or some kind of pivot. But I feel like you guys made a really smart move with the coffee or with coffee or die and, and podcast and, you know, your YouTube channel, really finding ways to engage people, you know, through content, where did that strategic, how did that strategic sort of decision come about? Um, well, there's a wide variety of reasons why that's good. One is these platforms are essentially free, right? Yeah. So when in human history, have we been able to reach, our customers more effectively on a, on, on a daily, hourly, minutely, secondly basis than it is today. It's never existed. Um, I believe in owned media. I believe in being able to own your shit. You have to communicate to your customers. You have to create those channels of opportunity to communicate directly to your customers because you're leasing space. At the end of the day, if you're leasing space, I don't care who you're leasing it from, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever the fuck it is, like you're leasing space from some asshole that might not agree with what you're saying. Yeah. So you have to diversify your media in order to communicate directly to your customer. And when you do that, it essentially is like having a diversified portfolio within your investments. Hmm. You have to create the channels, create the opportunities to communicate directly for your customer. And then you have to create value. Yeah. 
So a lot of guys make this mistake where they say, I'm, I'm developing and curating these things to just sell shit to my customers. And I'm, I'm not like that. I don't think like, like I, I don't want to subscribe to marketing material. I actually, yeah. I, I recoil at the psychological aspects of just communicating with a company because they're having a new sale. I want the company to create value in my life. So you, in, you know, great example of, companies that create value with their media. Um, you know, Yeti for a long time did such an incredible job yeah. of, of creating value-based media around a lifestyle because they were going out filming things that I wanted to watch. Yeah. So I'm watching it going, this is badass. And oh shit, okay, Yeti did that. Well, you know, five years ago I couldn't afford a Yeti cooler. Today I sell Yeti products, right? Yeah. So it's totally different. I sell, you know, Yeti mugs and tumblers and coolers and everything else on our website. But they built that system early on based on they are providing value to their customers on two different fronts: value-based media, value-based product. And people say it's too expensive. Okay, but they, they, they made $300 million or whatever last year. So yeah. there's obviously a market for people that want to buy that. And um, so for me, when I look at opening up media platforms or, or diversified media that people can engage with, I want to create a value for the customer first, which is, I'm just going to give it to you for free. Here you yeah. go. And then if you like our blog content, if you like our video content, chances are, you're going to like our coffee too. Yeah. But if you don't, I mean, that's okay. There's plenty of people you can buy your coffee from. Yeah. You're still a consumer to a certain degree. Um, I'm obviously biased. I think we have the best coffee on the market, but um, I think it's more, it's more than just selling shit. Right. Yeah. And I'm not a salesman. That's the other thing. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a salesman, which sounds fucking crazy. That I, I own a yeah. business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm not a salesman, man. Like yeah. I, I don't like salesy people, right? I don't yeah. like people jamming shit down my throat all the time. Like I just don't like it. If I want something, it's because I've made that conscious decision that this is the best option for me. And a lot of it is value based on whether or not the company is creating something that is better than just the product itself yeah well and and that's like i said it, it's cool because it that does th there's an identity that people have with certain brands that they support they they feel like it they represent more than just the quality of the product but a value system that i feel like there's a real alignment with especially with, with black rifle uh evan one thing we like to do on on these shows is sort of kind of lightning round where we ask a lot of like standard questions to, to leaders sure. kind of get different perspectives uh, so to start off, what's the best advice you've ever received? Um, wear a condom. That's a really <laughs> good one. <laughs> but if we're going to limit to the scope of business, yeah. uh, you know, it's higher, slow, fire, fast. Mm. I can't remember who said that. It actually might've been Zuckerberg, but it's, you know, higher, slow, fire, fast. Yeah. Like, man, if you live by that credo, you are going to make a lot less mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times you can recognize right away when something, someone's not a good fit. 
you know it, ah. it, yeah the problem is a lot of people do wait you know it, they do. It, so, so it's it's easier to find the right person to change the wrong one for sure yeah absolutely it, yeah it, it's like wearing you know you wear a high heel on a mountain high on a mountain goat hike yeah. or a mountain, mountain goat hunt in yeah. alaska that is fucking oh, going to be a really horrible <laughs> experience yeah. when you hire the wrong person it could be exactly like that wearing i don't know what wearing high heels feels like which sounds like i might but <laughs> i'm just imagining the worst case yeah. scenario yeah, like yeah. mixing stilettos yeah. as i'm like trying to hunt a mountain goat in yeah. like you know, yeah it's just not gonna hot, work yeah it's just gonna suck so bad yeah that you're you're going to be miserable for so long so don't do it you yeah. know what i mean like just take them off put on a fucking boot and yeah. kill hunt right yeah. it's, it's like god don't don't wear a stiletto on a, on a goat hunt that, yeah. that's a really bad fit if you could go back 20 years and tell yourself something what would it be i mean obviously other than like you know bet on the patriots over the falcons or whatever you know like uh <laughs> invest yeah. in tesla early yeah no i you know i'm i'm a less i'm less uh materialistically driven than I, i'm more about the, the process so i to be honest with you i could have told myself to invest in tesla and it wouldn't have fucking matter you know i i spent too much time in war zones and when i say that it's not that i it's not that i didn't invest the time appropriately but you know I spent my 20s and early 30s in, kicking around in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, if I have one one regret, I would have at least maybe chopped that, some of that time down and spent mm. more time in the mountains. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a true believer in you know being isolated and remote and out in the middle of fucking nowhere. And yeah. honestly, some of those skills I wish I I would have cultivated earlier and and done more time really invested more time in 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 those types of activities because now i'm trying to catch up and i'm 43 right yeah like i'm going on a grizzly bear hunt next year and i'm like you know trying to be as fit as i can but i would have i it would have been a different story for me like doing like extended expeditions in like british columbia or something like that yeah but now i have two kids and a business so you know chop out 90 days of your life to go do something so incredibly epic is going to be so difficult yeah and past the point of no return yeah. right so it's like I, I look at some of those guys that have done some epic shit like that and i'm like i'm a little bit envious so yeah i would spend more time in the back country for sure what, what do you do especially as a leader and as your business is scaled up and there's new obstacles what do you do when fear and anxiety start to creep in how do you how do you keep that in check um I don't know what you mean. I, I don't have fears. Oh, that's cool. I'm just messing. I was going to say, <laughs> good for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I fear, I fear getting invited to a goat hunt and having to wear stilettos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, fear and anxiety are just part of life, dude. Yeah. Like, honestly, I've dealt with fear my entire adult life in one way or another, you know, whether it's like, going to selection processes and trying to make it, you know, to become a green beret or going to CIA or like rolling forward and in the invasion of a country or rolling out of a gate every day. And, you know, thin skin vehicles trying to like sneak around and not get blown up. Fear is just, I think it's just inherently part of my DNA at this point. Yeah. Um, so I'm fairly good at compartmentalizing emotion because of my past. So, 
you know, fear and anxiety. When I get these things, what I do is I kind of recognize what this is. And with fear, for instance, I try to logically work my way through what the fuck mm-hmm. is going on. Right? Yeah. Why am I, why, why, why am I fearing this? And then I look at it a lot, like anything that I've done in my life, which is like, I tell myself, stop being a fucking pussy and address it because you're going to be much bigger and much bigger person for just addressing it head on, you know, anxiety in a combination of ways. And I think, um, you know, my, my company provides one layer of discomfort, a sense of like 260 people, you know, when you think about the mortgages and payroll and you think about all different aspects of the company, it gets really complex, really fast. Yeah. And you can start to become anxious. Uh, but I think, more along the lines, uh, like I'm, I'm always erring on the side of those things as far as take care of the people, right? Be mission first. And if you're mission first and you're taking care of your people, it, they will take care of you. Yeah. So that starts to alleviate anxiety and fear because I know at the end of the day, I'm making good sound decisions for the people in the company and my family first. Yeah. And what I say is good leaders eat last. And that's the way that it works, right? It's the military beat it into me. I take care of my family and my company before I start to take care of me. And I, they take care of me. But, but that, that's really what happens. Yeah. Like when I come in here, the, you know, people like high five and yell out, hey, what's up, man? You know, and yeah. when I go home, my kids run through the door and they're super excited to see me. My wife, hit or miss depending right on how long of a day she's had. But, um, you know, you take care of your people, they'll take care of you. And when you fear something, chances are you need to dig deeper and invest more time into your people and your family versus investing less time in yourself. And that's how I alleviate it. If I'm fearful or I start getting any, any level of anxiety, let's say it's like three o'clock in the afternoon, my course of action typically works like this. I'll logically work my way through it, shut my laptop, and I'll go home and I'll play with my kids. Mm. It's all gone. Yeah. yeah. Just disappears. That's good. I mean, and it helps keep perspective too, you know? Like, I feel like th- that a lot of times, you know, fear is just, you get so caught up in a problem right in front of your face that you forget, like, the big picture. Like, hey, man, been through a lot. Get, we'll get through a lot. Uh, Evan, what's one thing you think uh, a per- people should do every single day that would benefit them? Every single day, it's time triage. So, you know, I do this. I've done this almost every day that I've had this business in the last, you know, five years is you have to look at all of your activities. So, like, I, excuse me, I take a lot of notes and that's just one layer, but really it's not the notes. It's more of a checklist as to what am I doing throughout my day? What is returning my, my, my highest ROI? So if you're looking at your business and you're saying, okay, what's my time worth and how is my time being represented within the business? You might, you might say, well, I need to represent my time for a high ROI against my gross revenue. Okay. Well, then you have to go to work trying to figure out what time you can spend on your gross revenue that really moves the needle. And then you start chopping out your white noise. Yeah. I call it time triage. It's the same thing with my family. So I don't, I don't typically 
I'm not a couch person. Like I don't lay on the couch. I don't lay in bed. I go to bed to sleep. If I'm working, I'm at a desk. If I'm not working, my laptop shut, my phone's somewhere else. Yeah. And I'm, I'm engaged and I'm plugged in. I'm playing with my kids. If I'm working, I'm plugged in and I'm working. Uh, you have to be very disciplined when it comes to your time. And the only way to do that is you have to chop away your dead minutes. You have to chop them away. So if I don't know what this is like, so I'm a little bit disconnected, but if you're wasting a lot of time, you know, on Netflix specials or listening to fucking podcasts or whatever you're doing, if you don't chop that dead wood and start reinvesting your precious minutes of time that you really move the needle against what your goals are, you're going to be stretched so thin. It will be very difficult for you to move the needle in your business or even in your personal. Yeah. And you, you lose focus on an energy, the, the ability to put energy in the things that really matter. If you're spread, yeah. if you spread yourself too thin, if you had, if there's a young listener who's listening right now that really wants to make an impact in the world and you know, whether that's through business, whether that's just through a creative pursuit, but they just don't know where to get started. And it seems overwhelming to try to, you know, actually make a dent in, in, in people's kind of perception and values, what, what would you tell them? I think you have to define the dent first, right? Mm. So, you know, if you just say, I want to make a dent, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. What I've told people is, you know, energy can create an outcome very differently depending on how it's applied. So. You know, for instance, in the analogy that I use for a lot of people is um, nuclear power can either blow up a city or it can power. So first you have to say, okay, am I going to make a positive impact on my, on the world, a positive dent? Well, you know, put that out. And that's what I, that, that's the one that I would recommend is trying yeah. to be a positive impact in the world and then go to work on figuring out. It's not even necessarily about you, right? It's, it's, it's more what, what kind of skills were you gifted with? And then what do you have to curate in order to reach where you feel you'll be able to invest the time and energy appropriately to make that dent? So I wanted to be a Green Beret early on, but you had to start planning that yeah. years before you do that. And then you have to make it through the training and then you know, go to combat and survive combat if you're lucky, right? Luck. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I also wanted to work for the CIA. So like, while I was an SF guy, I was like, man, I'd really love to work for the CIA someday. And then while I was in the CIA, I was like, man, I'd really like to be a coffee roaster someday and have this, this business. Well, shoot it. It was seven years. I'd roasted coffee in my house and fucked around with espresso machines and done a bunch of random coffee stuff. I've gone to coffee festivals and, you know, built an entire catalog of roast profiles seven years before I started Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah. So, you know, and then I had all this experience in management and planning and all these other things that I could apply directly to business. So I'd kind of built this portfolio of skills that I was really interested in. So that's the other piece is, what are you interested in? What can you do for a long life cycle yeah. where you're not going to burn out? I, I can't burn out on coffee. I, yeah. I really can't. It's so intrinsically interesting to me and every facet of it, whether it's roasting or cupping or growing or you know the, the, the post-roasting customer experience. Like There's so many different fascinating things with this thing. It goes 
like tentacles. It just goes out and keeps going. So you can go as deep as you want into each one of those corridors. You never, I never get bored with it. Yeah. Like, and if I do, then I go pick up my bow and shoot my bow for a half hour. And then I'm back in coffee. So yeah. I try to not waste my time with stuff that I'm just not interested in, where it doesn't curate a skill that I can see with a mission focus at the end. You know, hunting is a great analogy with this too, where it's like you have a lot of skills that you have to curate in order to be proficient, in order to go out and harvest an animal. And then you have a post-harvest acquisition sequence where you're putting meat on your table. And then you have the culinary aspects of being able to provide the food to your family and all these great, cool things. Uh, I can't get bored with any of this stuff. Yeah. Right. It's like people choose things where they're like, this is going to make me wealthy or this is what somebody else does. So I'm going to try to apply this to my life and hoping that will make me happy. It's like, stop looking at your neighbor's yard, man. Right. The grass isn't always greener. Yeah. Try to really be introspective and find out what's super interesting to you that you just don't see an end to where where it will take you. And a lot of people, I think, they just they're searching, right? Yeah. And they they and they're looking to define success based on what other people have done versus what they've done. You know, I told this to people back in the day. I was like, I would I would be a green brave for nothing. Like I would do this for free. Yeah. I wouldn't care. I'd do it for free. It wasn't the paycheck because you weren't really getting paid to do it. Right. Yeah. So I would sleep on a cot in the middle of fucking nowhere or on the ground, you know, starve, be frozen, all the things just beat the shit out of me just to be a green beret. I had no context to meaning I didn't know any other green berets really. Uh, I wanted to be a green beret. I wasn't looking at this saying, okay, this is how I'm going to be able to define myself as a success. It's just like, that's what I wanted to do. So that's what I went out and did. That's good, man. Well, what, one thing we ask every guest before, uh, before we take off, man, is if you could issue our listeners a one week challenge, it can literally be anything, but to challenge people to do something for one week that you think will have some sort of lasting impact on them, what would your one week challenge be? Ooh, man, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I think, I think for me, having discipline in a, in your life, right. And how do you incorporate discipline? And I've heard it a wide variety of ways. I think like McRaven talked about making your bed in the morning and all this other shit. Yeah. Uh, what I try to tell people is you have a lot of things. Like, we have so much access to, uh, you know, instant media, instant gratification. This thing is like in your pocket and around all the time. What I try to tell people is be, take a more minimalist approach to things, focus mm-hmm. on three things, you know, be very valuable. When I say this, make your time your most valuable possession. How you do that is by wasting none of it. Mm-hmm. So, what I would challenge people to do is turn off their social media unless they've got to make a post for their business. Turn off Netflix, turn off you know Amazon, turn off all your electronic streaming services for any form of entertainment and focus solely on self-improvement. And 
a lot of people, the first thing they do is they roll out of bed and they look at their phone, right? Okay. Uh, that works for a lot of people, but I don't. The first thing that I do is I get out of bed. I do, you know, stretching. I don't eat until, you know, noon or one o'clock. Like my day is shaped around discipline. Yeah. I don't look at my device other than very structured times. So if I'm pulling this all into one box, I would say take a minimalist approach to one week, chop out all your social media and electronic devices outside of exactly what is a necessity to the function of your business. So if you clearly define what's, what's a necessity, so what's a want and a necessity, try to figure that out because a lot of people don't know. They're like, well, you know, what about my iTunes account when I'm like, you know, want to listen to, you know, whatever new album's coming out. Well, you know, are you plugged in? Is that a necessity? So I would challenge people to find out what exactly is an electronic necessity and what isn't. And by doing that, I think you're going to find a lot more time and availability in your schedule and you're going to become less rest at the end of the day. That's really good, man. Well, Evan, man, this was, this was gold, man. I feel like, you know, like a reading a leadership book talking to you, man. Seriously, <laughs> it's great, man. Is that it, that might be in your future? Seriously, I mean, it, this is just really good stuff, man. We talk to a lot of a lot of people, and th- this is all really good, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, it was my pleasure, guys. Like, I really do appreciate the opportunity. And I, I will say this is kind of a final thought: is I think about the one minute left in my life a lot because it restructures my priorities and mm-hmm. helps me work more more effectively because. If I have one minute of life left, I'm not going to be thinking about, you know, all the business meetings I should have gone on or whether or not I have a private jet or whether or not I have a Maserati or any of those things. I'll ask for one thing and that's one more minute with my family, right? Mm. That's it. And if I know so many entrepreneurs, they make this mistake and so many older entrepreneurs have told me and it's resonated through my DNA. It's don't forget your family. Mm. right? Prioritize against them because the last thing you want to be is that rich guy that has to send his kids off to like the dysfunctional youth camps to straighten them out because you didn't spend any fucking time with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I would say that like fear and anxiety and all those things that we talked about, my biggest fear and anxiety in my life is making sure I have a competent, balanced work-life schedule where I divide my time up. Mm, that's good, man. And that's something I feel, especially a young generation of entrepreneurs needs to hear too, because there's a lot of guys that I just feel like are all about the hustle, but forget, you know, they leave a lot of people in the wake unintentionally, you know, they do, man. Like, and it's, it's rough to see. I see it. Yeah. You know, I talk to a lot of older entrepreneurs now, like in their fifties, guys yeah. that have been successful in the number one resounding thing that I, I talk to guys and I've talked to guys and like, Johnny Morris is a friend of mine. He owns Bass Pro Cabela's. Yeah. He founded Bass Pro. He's a multi, you know, billionaire, I would imagine. I've never really talked to him about his personal wealth. But that guy's so family oriented. You know, his son JP is a fucking great guy. You know, he's not missing hunting trips. He's not missing time in the field with his kids. And, you know, those are the guys that I respect because they have this really balanced family life and business life. Uh, the guys that I'm always a little bit skeptical of, I'm like, okay, what do you, 
Yeah. How, how do you spend time, bro? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> how do you spend your time? And, and, and two, it's like, well, what's it all for for those cats too? Yeah. You know what I mean? That that it's just like, oh, the next, you know, vacation or the next cool house and it's, you know, it's got to come up empty at some point if you're not doing it. If the if you know, the means are to like selfish ends, not to like provide for a family or build some sort of legacy. You know, that's the other thing about some of those guys that I don't get. It's like, well, what what is all, all this about at the end of the day for those guys, you know? I honestly I don't know. I think they're gonna turn around. There's a lot of old rich guys that are really dysfunctional and psychologically broken. Just so yeah. you everybody knows, like it's not as if when you get more money, people start getting better and more stable and more psychologically secure. No, there's a lot of really insecure, ego-driven fucking weirdos that have a lot of money and they're really unhappy. A lot of these yeah. guys are very dysfunctionally unhappy people. And I steer clear of those guys. I, 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 I avoid them like the plague. And you know, whether you do have kids or a family, that's not necessarily the issue. It's, it's kind of cultivating high value experiences in your life. Yeah. And if you value a watch more than you do experience, chances are that's a dead, that's a dead end road that you're going to hit really fucking hard, really fast someday. Today's segment on the hot wash, uh, we're going to review a ton of notes that I took from Evan Hafer's interview. I'm sure you have I a bunch on there too. I think we both took a bunch. Dude, what I, what I respect out of him and, and Black Rifle in general is, you know, one, he's made the brand bigger than him. Yeah. yeah I, I'm obviously a fan of that, but, uh, but his ideals and morals and and work ethic is is all through it and it's all through his people and uh black rifle is a shining example of what an american company should be and could be right now yeah and everybody brings him up everybody we work with he brought up yeti which i'm not kidding probably for the past probably two years ago for the five years prior Anytime we talk to a customer or a client or a big brand, they said, we want what Yeti's doing. We want what Yeti's doing. And he brought them up as a, as a brand that was doing it right um, prior. And now he's really taken the torch and taken it to another level, in my opinion. They've created a brand that's a lifestyle and it represents so much more and, it, and, it, and it's a deep conviction that runs throughout. And that was kind of cool because you don't normally hear him talk like that. Uh, obviously, they have fun and they represent... Uh, a lot of incredible things, but uh, just kind of hearing him one on one talk about some of the principles and leadership that he puts into place, uh, I thought it was cool. One of the first things that I, I took away from it where was when he was talking about building a team, and there's the me first and the mission first mm -hmm. folks, and he's looking for mission folks, and um, I, I appreciate that about him. The name on the yeah. on the front of the jersey is bigger than the name on the back of the jersey. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And he made the comment, I know it's clear that he lives by it, or at least at the surface of what we've been able to see from him. But the idea that good leaders eat last, I thought that was really cool. I mean, that's a it's a powerful philosophy to live by. Yeah. Um, it's not an uncommon thing to hear that from a leader. But I think what's cool is when somebody can live it out in humility. Yeah. Um, and it seems as though, I mean, his team would be the tell on this uh, of whether or not he lives this out, but it seems that he would live that out in humility rather than, you know, patting himself on the back for eating last all the time. You yeah. know what I mean? 
it seems like he's that kind of guy. Yeah, and there were themes like that throughout. He talked about, uh, you know, if you have a bad day, don't come in. And his job yeah. is to be the number one mental performance coach because we talked about mental performance coaching. And and one of the big things was, you know, he, he looks at it as a 360 relationship with uh, work and family and everything else. He said that, uh, you know, he wants you to, to leave home to come to work from a great family and walk into a business with mm-hmm. a great family. He, yeah. he doesn't want there to be any type of um, bad sections in that. He wants that full 360 of life and health, and and, and um, that was a big deal. Yeah. Man, we talk about this a lot, but he mentioned this, and I thought this was the biggest takeaway for me personally was the idea that um, so many leaders, and he didn't say it like this, but this is what I took away from it, was that so many leaders – allow their anxiety to kind of just explode all over their team. When they're having a bad day, it's apparent, um, and the rest of the team by default, because they're in a leadership role, it's gonna, that, that's gonna trickle down. Um, but I love what he said about, you know, hey, if I'm feeling that way, even if I can't necessarily pinpoint it, it's time for me to step back from that. And, you know, he's got his routine that lets him hit the reset button mentally, but I just thought that was really perceptive and a wise way of looking at it because it's so true when when you as the shepherd is you know when you're feeling that anxiety the rest of the team's gonna gonna feel it whether they even understand it or not yeah and it, that kind of went full circle all the way to the end with his challenge uh, because yeah. he was saying that when when he does feel that he shuts his computer he he goes takes a very logical approach to it then he cuts out maybe he shoots the bow he yeah. goes home and plays with his family and then it goes away. He yep. talks about his kids. He talks about the value of that. And then at the end, when he was talking about uh, discipline and, and triaging time. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was awesome. The, using the word time triage was new. I've never heard that. Yeah. But that yep. was awesome. We were actually just having a meeting about that yep. in there. Yeah. And it, it inspired me, man, to look at all my activities. He said, uh, he said uh, what am I doing and what's got the highest ROI? Right. Um, and you really have to be disciplined at your time and chop away the noise. Yeah. One of the things he talked about that definitely resonated with our, our group as a, you know, anybody that's in the growth space, it is easy. And he, he cited it, the idea of chasing shiny objects. It, that's the hardest discipline to maintain because there's a lot of cool things you could be doing. Um, but it's having that discipline to boil it down to the most impactful ones and just chase them hard, you know with your head down the whole time the shiny object thing is especially in the creative industry field that we're in there's no limit there's no limit and and it's a it it can just take you down so many different rabbit trails and i love the way you put it yeah um but you know really what it comes down to is that time triage and then really where he said um defining want versus necessity yeah in, inside of everything, but he, his specific stuff was about content, about digital uh, connection, about all those things, and the mm-hmm. importance of of getting some time away from that. But when he talked about you know f- defining that want versus necessity, and just don't waste time. Mm-hmm. And he said he always asked himself that one question: is is if he had one minute left in life, mm-hmm. what would he want? It th- that convicted me when yeah. he said that. Yeah, what would he want? And it's it's another minute with my family. Yeah. It puts things into perspective. And I think that's why for him personally, and I can relate, we can relate to this. We've talked about this many times as you get older and your kids get older, it, it's easier to look at that as a, a mental reset or as an escape, as opposed to, you know, what you may have seen as a younger person, you know? Well, think about this too. 
I, I, I think I was talking to you about this earlier, but in the past seven or eight weeks, we've been on back-to-back-to-back-to-back mm-hmm. back productions. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to be able to take family on those, um, work with some awesome customers, and travel the world. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, man, we were doing one with Garmin. We're sitting on a boat, blue water, storm coming, adventure. Mm-hmm. And then right from there, we went to Alabama with Mechanics Wear, saw rolling hills, cows, and I was thinking like, we get to spend our time investing in people and experience an adventure outside. Mm-hmm. There are people right now that are surrendering mm-hmm. their life. They've, they've been surrendered for seven months. Mm-hmm. Seven months, maybe more, since the, since the quarantine. They're giving all of it away. They're giving it up. You're going to want that seven months mm-hmm. back. When, when you're on your bed, your deathbed, and you're, you, you said, I put seven months of my life in fear in an apartment or in a house or not going out. Mm-hmm. There's one thing about being respectful and, and being safe, but you cannot give that life away. Right. And, and we do it every day, minutes at a time right here. Mm-hmm. Ding, 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 mm-hmm. ding, 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 ding. We're going to want that time back. Yeah. yeah. I think about that. I mean, think about like you take a dump, you do this. How many extra minutes are you on there taking a dump when your kids are out running around? It's true. I mean, I get it is brought to my attention daily. It's like this is forty <laughs> when he's sitting on the crap. Yeah, exactly. No, but for real though, you you are gonna want that time back. And uh, I love hearing guys like this that display a life of achievement and goals yeah. and and healthy family and um, and adventure. And they do it through discipline and auditing their time yeah. and their energy and not getting sucked into the vortex that is ease of entertainment yeah. and junk food. Yeah. Yeah. We get to observe in these, these very short 30-minute, hour-long segments, and, and I'm very thankful for that. We get to see the best of the best of, of these folks that we, we talk to or interview. But it seems like Evan's the kind of guy that knew – what he wanted. You know what I mean? I have a lot of respect for guys like, you know, that anyone that just knows what they want and they have that resolve to get it done. And uh, they're not distracted. They don't feel, they don't seem to feel anxious over certain things um, where the rest of the world seems to kind of be looking for that target. Um, He seemed to set that somewhat early on, uh, at least when it comes to Black Rifle, right? You know, they're a relatively very young company, you know? Uh, relatively speaking, they are a young company, and good on them for what they've been able to, able to accomplish. I mean, they've been very successful, and they've been in the right place at the right time on some things. And then their discipline has created for them um, the magic that they've experienced, which is really cool. And good on them for for doing it. Yeah. All right, guys, that was Evan Hafer on Ironclad's Built for More. Make sure you leave a rating and review. We're going to have more of this coming up, more great guests, and more incredible assets for you to take away for your everyday life.